If you have your Bibles, you know what I'm going to say, right? No. I'm going to say you have a good thing. <laughs> then I'm going to say 1 Corinthians 4. So as we move into uh, this next section of Scripture in Ephesians, obviously we're going to go there in a second. Um, and if you want, get yourself, we're going to go to Revelation chapter 2 in a second. Um, I, I want you to understand the importance of why this portion of Scripture in Ephesians is important to understand. And I want to show you via Scripture uh, uh, that, uh, that, that uh, import, you know, why, why this is so important, okay? So when you're in 1 Corinthians 4, if you if all remember, uh, Paul wrote to the Corinth church uh, two letters that we have preserved for us, and we need to remember uh, it's the importance of understanding First and Second Corinthians. Most of what's going on in those two books is Paul correcting the Corinthians for what they are doing wrong, not praising them for what they're doing right. If you if you look at the book and you start reading what they're actually saying, you'll 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 pick up on that. Uh, it's crazy to me how most people don't pick up on that, uh, but regardless, it is the reality of what's going on in those books. In chapter number four, uh, you know, hey, listen, y'all do what you want with this, okay? But, but it is preserved in our Bible. The Holy Spirit did, did tell Paul to write this, and what he said is, let a man, verse number one, so account of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is... What? What does that say right there? I want everybody. What does that say right there? If you're a Christian, you are a steward over the mysteries of God, and it is required of a student, excuse me, a steward, to be found faithful. This isn't, this isn't a, eh, you know, if I get around to it, no. You want to understand what your accounting is going to be at the judgment seat of Christ? Here's a good place to start. There are some other places we can go for sure, but here's a good place to start. And on, uh, uh, <coughs> um, at uh, Bill and Pam's house, we've been going through these mysteries. And let me just... This isn't the, 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 the basis of what I'm talking about today, per se, outside of one of the mysteries is being talked about in, in this Ephesians 2 passage at the end of the passage, okay? But what I want you to understand is the bigger scope, you better know what the mysteries are. I'd make that a priority if you don't. If you, you, it's appointed on the man wants to die and after this a judgment. Okay, so whether you like it, whether I like it, whether I mean, look, that is what the scripture says, does it not say that? I mean, it, 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 let's look at it. Let a man account. There's an accounting of us as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. There are seven kingdom of God mysteries. You need to make sure you understand them. Now, let me explain to you why you do. Because if you understand those seven mysteries, if you fully can grasp what they are saying, I promise you, you will pretty much know 90% of what the church is and what the church is not. You'll be able to know what, when something's right, and you'll be able to know when something's wrong. So do you see why God put a premium on making sure we know them? Because if you know them, you're going to be in a good place. You're going to understand some things. Okay? So with that being said, now I want you to turn to Revelation. What is it? Two what? I already got two nine. It's the other one. Three nine. Thank you. That, that was easy. I should have known that. And there it is right there. One of the mysteries, don't turn there with me, but I'm going to go there is Romans chapter 11. Okay? And now let me read to you what it says, and I'll give you the verses if you want to write it down so you can go to it later if you want to. Okay? But God 
is uh, inspiring Paul to write about the state of the Jew during the church period. The first thing you have to make sure you understand is if God is inspiring Paul to write about the state of the Jew, it must be because he's not done with the Jew. If he was done with the Jew, he'd have no reason to write that. 9, 10, and 11 in Romans are really worthless at that point. What's the point? If the Jew has been replaced by Israel, excuse me, if the Israel has been replaced by the church, there's no reason for chapter 9, 10, and 11. We don't need it. It doesn't make any sense to even put it there. Just let's pull it out of the Bible and pretend like it's not there. And let's stop teaching it wrong, because I've heard so many people teach it wrong. If we're going to teach it, if we're going to look at the, the heart of it, we need to understand it. Why? Why? Because what did I just say? It's one of the seven mysteries. So if you get the mystery wrong and we are stewards over it, do you think God's not going to, you think God's just going to sit up there and go, oh, don't worry about it. I know you're a steward over this. I know it was required for you to be so, but you got it wrong. It's all good, man. We're good. You think God's going to do that? You think God's going to do that? We have a very, very warped idea of God. We, what we don't understand about God, really, I believe, one of the biggest failures we have in the church today in our understanding about God is we think that God is wishy-washy. We think God's just going to accept us right where we're at. We don't realize that God is holy. We don't realize that God is pure. We don't realize that God never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And whatever he put his hand on back then, he's putting his hand on right now too. And I will say this, the other thing we don't understand is, is God's serious about what he says. He means what he says, and he is going to do what he says. I mean, what, why we've lost that in the church today is beyond me and beyond my knowledge to understand outside of the fact we've let the devil do exactly what the devil does. And it's the truth, okay? No disrespect to anybody in this room, but please ask yourself this question before you ever even stepped into the doors of this church. Did you know what those seven mysteries were? Did you even know there were seven to even know? And if you did, praise the Lord. I'm glad you did, but I think most of you are going to go, nope, had no idea. Yet, it's right there in Scripture for, for us to read. Like, dang, come on, man, right? Okay. So with that being said, in Revelation chapter number 11, it says this in uh, starting in verse number 25. And so if you want to write this down, uh, you can go back and look at it later. It says, for I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery. So Paul's telling them, hey, don't be ignorant of this mystery. And by the way, he does that with just about all of them. He says, don't be ignorant of them. Why? Why? Lest you should be wise in your own conceits. Do you understand what he's saying? Unless you think you just know it all. And it's all about you. That's what he's saying. And he says, listen, blindness in part has happened to Israel. Big word. Until. That means there is a definitive end point to when the blindness that has happened to Israel is going to end. Until what? Until the times of the Gentiles or the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. That's why you need to know what the other mystery, another one of the mysteries is, the rapture of the church. You'll understand exactly what he's talking about right now. There is going to come a time when the Gentile church is going to come to its completion and the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come in the air and he's going to take his church out of here. Amen. And when he does, the times of the Gentiles will have come in and God will turn his attention back on Israel. So obviously what I'm trying to tell you is God's not done with Israel. Now I know 
I know you've heard me harp on that over and over and over and over and over and over again. And I know you've heard me say that 10 times over. But I want you to understand the, re, the, the, the reality of the importance of making sure not only that you understand it, but that you could tell somebody else. And I'm going to show you why that's important here in a second. But just to go on, it says, And so shall all Israel be saved. As it is written, Thou shalt come out of Zion the Deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant unto them when I shall take away their sins. God is not done with Israel. He is not done with Israel. It is one of the mysteries, the seven mysteries that God has put a premium on being held accountable to, knowing the importance of it. Why? Well, in Revelation chapter 2, verse number 9, writing to uh, the, uh, the, the church at uh, uh, Smyrna, Jesus... Y'all okay with Jesus, right? I mean, if Jesus tells us to do something, like, you know, hey, that, that, or if he says something, we're, we're, we're going to say, hey, that's probably good right there. We probably should pay attention to that. What do y'all think? Okay, this is what he says. I know thy works in tribulation and poverty, that thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue. Of Satan. What? So what you're saying is, when somebody is saying they're a Jew, when they're not, it's blasphemy, and that church, synagogue, gathering place, is a synagogue of Satan? Is that what you just said, Jesus? Well, just in case you didn't get that, go to Revelation 3.9. Behold, I will make of them the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Okay, so just to make sure, Jesus, what you're saying, because you didn't just say it once now, you done said it twice. Those that say they are Jews and are not are the synagogue of Satan. Wow. That's a pretty big statement right there. So now let me show you how this shakes out. Most of you who've been around me for any amount of time know, hey man, listen, you can say whatever you want about me, but there's one thing you'll never be able to say about me. I am not just a believer in something or I just don't believe something just because somebody told me that. <laughs> Y'all know me enough to know that ain't right. That, that's true. Listen, I want facts. I want facts. Why? Because facts are a stubborn thing. You can't argue something that's a fact. Now, it better be proven that it is actually a fact. But once you get to the place where you realize it's a fact, well, you can't argue it. All right. So let's talk about that. Many times I've stood right here at this pulpit or the other nine places we've been. And I've said, and I've said, 95% of churches this morning that are preaching are replacement theologians. And then people, that I've heard people go, come on, dude, you can't say that. What makes you think, what, what do you think? One Baptist church is the only right church? What? Don't hear what I am not saying. I did not say that One Baptist church is the only right church. I did not say that. What I said, which is the facts, is that 95% of churches that are preaching this morning are replacement theologians. That's what I said. Well, you couldn't prove that if you tried. Oh, yes, I could. Oh, yes, I could. You ready? You want me to prove it? Here we go. Ready? First of all, if a church comes from the Roman Catholic system, they are replacement theologians. End of story. They believe they are the one true church. They believe they are, that's the whole reason for the Crusades. They thought Jerusalem was theirs. Why? Because they replaced the Jew. Did you ever read the City of Gold by, uh, the City of God, excuse me, by, uh, by uh, Augustine? Did you ever read that? 
If you haven't, go read it. Get it. It is replacement theology at its core. It is what is the very definition of covenant theology, replacement theology. They believe without a, fa- without a doubt, emphatically, that the church has replaced Israel to the point that the Pope is Christ's representative here on earth. I mean, if you don't get that, come on, man. We could go on and on and on, and I could prove to you, Dave, it's a fact. That is what they believe. There's no doubt about it. The Roman Catholic Church has tried to kill Jews for the last 2,000 years. What do you really honestly think was behind Hitler? Go look at the facts. The Roman Catholic Church funneled money to Hitler to do what they failed to do, wipe out the Jews. That's a fact. Can't argue it. You say, well, yeah, I can. No, you can't, because in Mon Kemp, Hitler's book, he actually says it. So what are you arguing? It's a fact. All right, well, what does that prove? Well, okay. Let's talk about Roman Catholicism and, and the Roman Catholic Church for a second. In 1590, I could be wrong on the date, somewhere around there, there was this thing that everybody's all like, oh, this was the greatest thing that ever happened in the church. It was so awesome. You want to know what they call that? The Protestant Reformation. Now, let me tell you what happened in the Protestant Reformation, okay? You had a bunch of Roman Catholic priests who got a hold of the Bible and said, wait a minute. What, what, what the church is teaching ain't what this book says. Some, something's off here. We, we had this old, old uh, Latin uh, translation of the Bible. Now that we got our hands on this, this, this new thing here and, and that came from Wyclef, something's not adding up. This don't seem right. And so what did they do? Guys like Martin and Calvin and, and Swingley, what'd they do? They, they reformed the church, or they attempted to. Of course, that didn't go over well. They got removed, and then they started their own churches. So, here we go, ready? Luther, Presbyterian, um, uh, 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 um, say it. Methodist. Who? Well, Protestant is all uh, what this is all under. What's what's uh, reform? The Reformed Church, Calvinism. Okay, reform. Um, what's the word I'm looking for here? The, the 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 Church of Christ. What do you call that? Huh? Assembly of God. All that falls under it. But uh, uh, charismatic. Thank you. Charismatic churches, Reformed churches, Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches, Anglican churches, Lutheran churches. The list goes on and on. Listen to me, please. They are all Roman Catholic at the core. Yeah. No, they're not. They even they, 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 they left the... Oh, yeah, then why are they still sprinkling babies? Why are they still holding Roman Catholic stuff in their churches did you ever listen to those guys man they will quote john they will quote john calvin and luther and all those guys like it's the it's all roman catholic call it what you want i don't care but the facts are the facts they are still teaching replacement theology so let me ask you this now i just said it so how many churches in jacksonville let's say there are a thousand churches in jacksonville let's just get a nice round number there make it easy Let's say there's a thousand churches in Jacksonville. How many churches in Jacksonville think do you think fall under that category? Do you think I'm being fair if I say 80%? I think I'm low. I think it would be more than that if we actually well, wait a minute. What about all the, you know, the the the, the churches that don't put a denomination on their name? I don't care if you put a denomination on your name or you don't. You come from something. You're teaching something. Let me look at your website for five minutes and I'll go, oh, that's Lutheran. Well, we're non-denominational. You can call yourself non-denominational all you want. I'm telling you, you're teaching Lutheran doctrine. That's Lutheran. Or that's the big one. Most non-denominational churches 
most of them, let me tell you what, why, why we got to that place of non-denominationalism and people, is because people knew that people were starting to question the whole yep. holiness churches and all these gifts and spirit. And so they didn't want to put that on their name anymore. So now they try to hide it. It's sad. Regardless of the point, they are teaching replacement theology. Okay? Everybody with me? Okay. Well, I mean, we just nailed a lot of churches right there. Now, start, now, now throw in all your non-denominational churches, and let's just say, let's say, if I'm at 80%, we got 200 left. Let's say we have 100 of them. Are, they don't put a name on it. Okay? And, 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 and so when you start looking at them, I'm telling you, all of them, pretty much all of them, are going to fall under the realm of Roman Catholicism. It's a fact. It's a fact. I'm sorry if you don't like that. I'm sorry that that makes you mad if it does, but I'm telling you, go look. You will see that what I'm telling you is true. If you know what you're looking for, I promise you, you'll find it. Because it's a fact. Okay, so now where are we? Now we're at about 90% of the churches out there. I didn't, even, I didn't even talk to you about, and I'm not even going to add in Seventh-day Adventism, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormonism. I'm not even going to add those in there. But they are all replacement theology churches. All of them. The JWs think they're the 144,000. I mean, how much more? Uh, the, the, the Mormons think they're from the tribe of Ephraim. Right? Is that right? Yeah. Okay? I mean, listen, Seventh-day Adventists, oh my gosh. They are under the law still, hence the reason why they meet on Saturdays. Okay? I'm not lying to y'all, man. It's a fact. Go look. Okay, now we're down to about 10% of the churches. I didn't, and by the way, I didn't add J.W. Mormon. Or, okay, I didn't even add those guys in there yet. Let's go down to the 10%. Well, pretty much all that you got left is the Baptist church. Right? That's pretty much all that's left. I mean, you might have little pockets of stuff, but not enough to... Let's talk about the Baptist church. Okay. For a long time, the Baptist church was a church that went underground. For a long time, the Baptist church is the one church that never joined with Roman Catholicism, hence the reason why they had the name Anabaptist. Okay? But, but somewhere around the 1600s, even that started to change. And so from 1600 to about now, now what you've got is, let's be honest, most Baptist churches today, a good majority of them teach Calvinism. Think I'm wrong? Go ahead, start looking. See if I'm right. Okay, what is Calvinism? Calvinism is Roman Catholic doctrine from St. Augustine. That's what it is. That's what it is. Go ahead, argue with me if you want. But the facts are the facts. Now let's take a look and let's say of those 10%, let's just be, be nice. Let's just be nice and say 50-50. I think it's more than that. But I'll be nice and I'll say 50. We're at 95%, by the way, now, folks. Remember when I said 95% of churches are teaching this stuff? You see how I got there? That's a, it's a fact. You can't argue it. All right, now we're down to 5%. Here's the next thing. Okay, let's get down to 5% of churches that aren't teaching that. But here's the next problem that most people don't understand and most people are not privy to. If you're not reading a King James Bible, you are reading Roman Catholic doctrine. No! Who the heck are you to say that? Oh, did you know where they got their... their uh, yep. The argument's not the English translation, my friends. Yeah. That's what we've made it, because that's an easy argument, and that's how they attack the King James Bible only people and call us the King James Bible cult and all the good stuff that they call us. Listen, that's not the argument. The argument is what manuscript was used to get your translation. Because right. there's three major ones. Yep. Okay? Vaticanus. Don't take a genius to figure out where that one came from. Where'd they find that? In 1482, they found it in the Vatican Library. 
Sinaiticus. Well, they found that in a St. Catherine's monastery. Again, probably doesn't take a genius to go, last Roman Catholic, to the point even those priests knew it was a bunch of junk and had it in a garbage can. Now, let me say this. Every single translation on the market today in English, except for one, comes from Vaticanus or Sinaiticus. Listen, you can get mad at me all you want. That's the fact. All right, so now let's go back to our Baptist churches that I said 50-50. The 50% that are not teaching Calvinism, how many of those churches are King James-only churches? You see, I say 95%. I think the reality is we're probably looking somewhere around 99%. We don't have a lot of King James-only churches in Jacksonville that do not teach replacement theology. We don't. Listen, that is not saying we're the only good church. I didn't say that. What I said is, but that's a fact. 95% of churches teach replacement theology, and the, of the other 5%, how many of them really are only King James only? And you go, well, I just don't understand why you're saying all this. Why, why are you... If that's the facts... And you do your own work. You go figure it out on your own. I did it. Okay? And I'm telling you, those are the facts. What does Jesus say not once but twice? Those that say they are Jews and are not are the synagogue of Satan. You do what you want with that information. You take that wherever you want to take it and you follow that trail any way you want to follow it. I just don't feel like there's any way to get to the end of that trail and go, <laughs> okay, yeah, you know, when, when, when Paul wrote to Timothy, over there in 2 Timothy, in the last days, perilous times are going to come. Where? In the church. Many are going to be lovers of their own selves. They're going to have a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. And you start looking at what these churches are teaching, that's exactly what they're doing. And can I just tell you, don't get mad at me. That's the synagogue of Satan. Why, why are you saying that? Because that's exactly what Jesus said. What do you want me to tell you? Now do you understand the magnification of why understanding this mystery is so important? Well, I, 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 I just I don't know, Pastor. I, I just can't buy that. Well, fine. Don't buy it. Listen, here's the good thing. I'm not your judge. <laughs> I'm not going to judge you. Okay? You, you want to go to another church? Feel free to do so. I just hope the other church you're going to is not part of the 99%. And that you're finding the 1%. I'm not saying there aren't, they aren't out there. I'm not saying they aren't out there in Jacksonville. You just better know enough to know that you're a steward over something. And you better make sure you understand what all that means. Because I will tell you this. As Jesus says it's required. Via Paul. As he said it's required. I will just say this. Then there's going to be an accounting to it. And I promise you on the day, Hebrews 9, 27, on the day where it says, and it's appointed on a man wants to die, and after this, I promise you on that day, you aren't going to go, but Jesus, I didn't know. Like, man, but that church I was going to, man, it was so great. The music was awesome. The pastor made me feel good. Like, I was laughing. I was joking. Man, my kids, man, they had a, that's what I was looking for. I thought that was okay. I mean, isn't that, isn't that what this is all about? Yeah, it's all about you. You're right, Jesus is going to say to you. Yeah, exactly, you're right. Everything I did on that cross was all for you. Why don't you come on to the kingdom, man? Let's go. Is that how we all think this is going to shake out? Let me tell you something. No disrespect, but you go to those other 99% of churches and that is how you think this is going to shake out because that's what they're telling you. But it ain't right. It ain't right. 
Don't get mad at me for having enough guts to stand up here and put it on recording to say, that's not right. That's not biblical. It isn't right. It's the synagogue of Satan. Pastor, how can you say that? I didn't. Jesus did. Not once, but twice. Twice. And I didn't even get to the Laodicean church. The third thing he says is, hot or cold, you make me sick. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. I didn't even get there. <laughs> Pastor, why are you so hard on us all the time? Why are you preaching the way you do? Why do you do? I don't get it, man. You know, sometimes you just need to take a step back, man. And, and you know, man, you really, you really read us, man. Oh, yeah. I, I, listen, in no disrespect, I even heard some of you joking about it that morning on Pastor Appreciation. And I laughed right along with you. But I want you to understand something. It's not a laughing matter for real. It's a serious thing. It's a very serious thing. And as long as we have the mentality that our relationship with Christ is like that, all I can say is, the one thing that fears me more than anything, anything, is that when we go to that judgment seat and I'm standing behind you and you can look around to me and say, Pastor, why didn't you tell me? That scares me more than anything outside of you not even actually being there. Because many are going to say to me in that day, Lord, Lord. That is the utmost fear. But, then, but, but if we get past that, and we're all there, and I'm standing behind you, man, and the Lord says, whatever he says, and you look back at me and go, Pastor, why didn't you tell me that? That's a, kind of a big deal. What? No, no. We did tell you. Amen. You just didn't want to hear it because you were too busy doing what you wanted to do. Don't get mad at me for that. I told you this was important. I told you that this is what's going to happen. But you wanted to hear what you wanted to hear. You took my words out of context. You made me say things that I didn't actually say. You got upset at me for saying what I said. But yeah, but what I said is right, isn't it? Why? Because that's what because I said it? <laughs> no, I'm not telling you what this book says. Do what you want, do what you want with it. This thing of replacement theology, it's not a small thing. Why do you keep harping on it? Because it's not a small thing. Why do you I mean we got it? We got, no, it's not a small thing. Do you know all the ins and outs of what replacement theology is? If you do, good for you, praise the Lord. But I don't even know at this point, I know them all. And I've studied it over and over. If you, more, if you know more than I do, hey, listen, man. Who, who wants it? Get up there, man, and preach it. Let's go. I'll listen to you. I got no problem. I want to hear. I want to learn it. Because Jesus said it's the synagogue of Satan. So if it's the synagogue of Satan, that's going to perk my ears, man. I need to make sure I get this. This is no joke. You going to sleep, man? You look a little, or are you just upset? <laughs> Amy's looking at me like, what he's saying, right? I don't know about this guy. <laughs> well, either that, she's judging my, my, my speech, because she does that a lot. She probably has at least 10 things I've said wrong up to this point. And she's probably right. Like, I'm not going to argue with her. Do you see why this is important, folks? This is a big deal, man. This is a big, I would argue we could do this with all seven of them. We didn't even look at the other six yet. How many churches of those 100% or the, how, many of them, how many of them are teaching that the rapture is pre-trib? How many do you think we just cut out there? I'll tell you right now, if you are of a Roman Catholic persuasion, you definitely don't teach pre-trib. You're amillennialists. You think the church is going to bring Jesus back. Okay? I'm just telling you. These are all, these mysteries are important. I said all that to say, as we move into Ephesians chapter 2, the rest of this chapter, getting what he's saying is of at absolute must, of uh, uh, high priority 
of importance because I've seen it and heard it taught so wrong for so long. We wonder why the confusion has set in. And so I apologize. But the one thing I've always learned is that when you repeat things to the point of overemphasis, you'll remember it. You'll remember it. And when the time comes when you need to remember it, you're going to be glad that Pastor Frank said it 17,227 times. You're going to be like, I'm so glad that he harped on that for as long as I do. I didn't even realize how much I knew of it, but I actually know this. Y'all with me on that? All right. I'm going to be back on page 24. And we're only 40 minutes into the message. And we got to page 24. (laughs) So good. We're, We're rolling along here. Cowboys play the Broncos at one, so you don't have to worry, okay? We're good. We're good. (laughs) Okay, pumpkin over there. No, I'm talking to the person next to you that's not wearing the orange shirt. That looks like a pumpkin. All right. So, why, and I know that I already filled out some of these. I just want to re- Reemphasize now that I went through all that with you. I want to reemphasize this. Why is the blood of Christ so important? Why is it so important? Why, why do we need to put a premium on understanding the blood that He spilt on Calvary? It has a two-point emphasis. This is why you cannot take the blood out of the message. If you take the blood out of the message, you are going to lose the whole purpose of what Jesus did on the cross. And by the way, the emphasis is on two different people group. The blood of Christ on that cross did something for the Jew, and the blood of Christ on that cross did something for the Gentile. And we need to understand that. We need to understand the ramifications of it. Because understanding the ramifications of it is going to help us understand this mystery. Okay? Everybody with me now? Is that good? Is everybody on board with all that now? Are we good? All right. Number one, it testified of Israel's stumble and fall. Remember when when Pilate brought Jesus before the, the, the crowd that was crying, crucify him, crucify him. You remember that? You remember that over there in Matthew 27? You remember when Pilate said, you want me to crucify your king? He's not our king. Caesar's our king. Well, you, I wonder if God was okay with that. I wonder if God was looking down going, oh yeah, that's good stuff right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not only are they going to kill my son right now, they just said Caesar's their king. Yeah. No, 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 no. And what did they say? His blood be on us and our children. And let me tell you something. God will give you what you want. You want want his blood to be on on you and your children? Okay. Here we are 2,000 years later and his blood is still. But God's going to change his mind. No, no. God ain't changing his mind. To the point that for over 2,000 years, Israel's been cursed by that. Or just about 2,000 years. We're getting close, right? Will God change his mind? Again, no. I'd be willing to bet you if God didn't already have it in his book that he was going to save all of Israel, Old Testament, he'd let them be cursed for the rest of all of eternity. Is he going to do it because he loves Israel and Israel's so great? Nope. He's going to save them because he said he would. And he's going to do what he said he's going to do. And I promise you that every single thing he said he was going to do to Israel, he's going to do to us too. If it's in his book, it's going to happen. Are you just at a place in your life where you actually realize that? Do you actually get, we talked about it last night in our Bible study. Listen, we have to get to the place where we realize that the Lord 
is a righteous, holy judge. He's not your homeboy. He's not your dude. That's not Jesus. If you think it is, you've got a very wrong idea of who he is. There's a reason why the Bible in many, many places says, the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord. Oh, I got to fear him? No, but you need to have a healthy reverence for him. You need to understand who he is. You need to make sure you understand, just as Isaiah understood. Woe is me, my lips are undone, I am unclean. Just as the very apostle who put his head on the very heartbeat of God. Talk about John. The, the, the one, the only one that was at the foot of the cross with him. That guy right there. He was the one that Jesus loved. He didn't love the rest of them? No, of course he loved the rest of them, but there was something special about John. His bond with John went deeper. John wasn't just the inner three. John had made it to the Holy of Holies with Jesus. But you want to know what John did? When he was taken and he was standing in front of Jesus, Jesus was, had his back to him. And Jesus turned around. And you know what John did? This is what most people think John did. That's not what he did. You know what John did? He fell at his feet as dead. He fell down, prostrate on the ground, as dead. Why? Because he knew he was in the presence of the Lord Almighty, who was holy. He knew he was undone, just like Isaiah knew. We have a very wrong idea of who this Jesus is. And listen, that don't make, that doesn't make it like, oh my gosh, I need to fear Jesus. No. Do you think that when John fell at his feet as dead, do you think Isaiah, when he did, do you think these guys were sitting there going, well, this sucks. Dang. Man, I just really, really wish my relationship with Jesus was better than this. This stinks. I mean, no. They got it. It all came together at that moment. And they got it. It wasn't a man. We talked about this last night, right? Right? We talked about, listen, it wasn't that they got to the place of, of, they didn't understand what joy was. I think they truly understand what joy really was at that point. I'm in the presence of the Lord. This is great. Look how holy he is. On my feet is dead. On my feet is dead. There ain't nothing wrong with that, folks. Don't let that scare you. That's a good thing. And just because we live in this lifetime and we don't understand it in the here and now doesn't mean we're not going to understand it then. And when we understand it then, it will all make sense. And I promise you, we'll be okay with it. We aren't going to look back on this life and go, wow, man, I really thought this was going to be different. (laughs) This just didn't work out the way I thought. No, I promise you, you couldn't even think what it's going to be like. And I promise you it's going to be way better than I could ever preach it. Why? Well, because God doesn't really talk a whole lot about it. That's why. All I know is it's going to be good. Real good. I promise you that. Why the blood? It testified Israel's fall. Number two, it purchases propitiation, redeems, justifies, and makes peace. To Israel, his blood gave him, Jesus, the right to sit on the throne of David. We're talking about his physical blood. It gave him the right to sit on the throne of David. And what did they do? They rejected it. To to us, it gives us the right to sit with him. In heavenly places, if we believe in it. Do you see what the blood does? It curses Israel, 
And it gives us a gift beyond anything we could ever have obtained on our own. But I want to make sure you understand something. But what the blood did not do is replace Israel with the church. That's something it did not do. Well, how do you know that? Well, let's start here. Because Jesus is going to sit on that throne one day. He is going to sit on the throne of David. And he is going to sit on the throne of David as the king over Israel. Because he's not done with Israel. Why? Because something Israel did that was good? No. Because in the Old Testament, he talks about it so many times. And he is going to do what he purposed. Not for their sake, but for his glory. God had put a difference between Jews and Gentiles so that his purpose and salvation might be accomplished. But once those purposes were accomplished, there was no more difference. It was this lesson that was so difficult for the early church to understand. For centuries, the Jews had been different from the Gentiles in religion, dress, diet, and laws. Until Peter was sent to the Gentiles, Acts chapter number 10, the church had no outside problems to deal with other than those who rejected them. But with the salvation of the Gentiles in the same terms as the Jews, questions began to develop. Must a Gentile become a Jew? Or must a Gentile become a Jew to become a Christian? Their conclusion was no. Jews and Gentiles are saved the same way, by faith in Christ. By the way, this is the whole reason why the book of Galatians was written. So if you don't get that, he's explaining to us, Paul is, the difference, what the purpose of the law was, and what the point of the law was. The enmity was gone. The cause of that enmity was the law. Because the law had made a definitive distinction between Jew and Gentile. The dietary laws reminded the Jew that God had put a difference between the clean and unclean. But the Gentiles did not obey these laws, therefore they were unclean. Ezekiel the prophet reminded the priests that their task was to teach the Jews the difference between the holy and the profane. The divine ordinances given by God to Israel had stood as a wall between the Jews and all the other nations. In order for Jews and Gentiles to be reconciled, this wall had to be taken down. And guess what? When Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn. The wall had been taken down. The cost of destroying the enmity, don't miss this, was the blood of Christ. I mean, if we stop right there, and just consider that, well, we'd be in a good place. When he died, the veil of the temple was literally torn in two. And the wall of separation, figuratively or spiritually, was torn down. By fulfilling the demands of the law in his righteous life, and by bearing the curse of the law in his sacrificial death, and I got you Galatians there, Jesus removed the legal barrier that separated Jew and Gentile. In Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile became one. He is our peace, Ephesians 2.14. Through Christ, the far-off Gentile is made nigh, Ephesians 2.13 and 17. And both Jew and Gentile are made one. The consequences of Christ's work are then the destroying of the enmity by the abolishing of the law and creating a new man the church the body of christ the law no longer holds sway over either jew or gentile since in christ believers are not under the law but under grace the righteousness of the law revealing god's holiness is still god's standard amen what Ephesians 2, verses uh, probably about 11 to the end of the chapter, what it is emphasizing is exactly what I just said in that paragraph, leading to the absolute most important thing that you get out of this chapter. And what's my second point up there? New. What is it not? Replaced. The Gentile did not replace the Jew. 
the Jew and the Gentile became a new thing. <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, if you just read that chapter like that, you would go, yeah, that's exactly what it says, because that's exactly what it says. We are a replaced creature in Christ. Is that what it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17? No, we are a new creature. What was formed when God took the Jew and God took the Gentile and put them together in one body? What was formed was a new thing. The church didn't replace. A replacement is not, that's not new. You're just replacing. No. <laughs> you say, why do you keep saying this? Because I want you to understand it. It's what replacement theology teaches. It's trying to steal covenants, promises, whatever that was made to the Jew and give it to the church. Let me give you an example, a big one right here. Ready? Do you understand what the spiritual gifts that the Pentecostal churches are teaching? Do you actually understand it? It's trying to steal promises that were given to the Jew because at the end of the day, we want these physical things. We are not a physical being. God promised absolutely nothing to us physically. Let, let me repeat that just in case you didn't hear that in the back. I'm talking to you, CJ. Listen, God promised nothing to us. God promised nothing to us physically. He did not promise us money. He did not promise us riches. He did not promise us anything. Y'all got that? God made absolutely zero. Let me, okay, just, just in case Pam didn't get this. I'm going down the order here. God promised absolutely zero covenants with the church. We have no covenants. They were made with Israel. So, if you try to take the land, if you try to steal the, the gifts that were given to, 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 to Israel, if you try to get, steal the promises that were given to Israel, if you try to make any of those assumptions, if you try to throw any of those things into the pot, you are the synagogue of Satan. Pastor, why would you say that? That's, that's rude. I didn't say it. Jesus did. Not once, but twice. If you got a problem with it, talk with him when you get there. If you need further explanation of it, I'm sure he'd be happy to give it to you. At the end of the day, you still look like you're mad at me, man. What's going on? Are you tired? What's going on? You must be tired. Were you up late last night? Did the whole turn back of the clock thing mess you up? I mean, dude, because I need to take a picture of you right now. You're like, I, I can't. Hey, you make fun of me. I got always see when you have the pulpit. That's what can happen. What'd you say? Okay. Wow. Wow. Here we go. Claude, what do you think? We should take him out back? Yeah, okay, good. Guys, this is important, man. This is a big thing. We, we don't have the luxury of messing this up. We've got to make sure we get this right. We've got to understand the reality of the fact that the fellowship of mystery is the one body of Christ that up to this point, had been kept secret. That's why there's no way an Old Testament Jew could have looked forward to the cross. It's an impossibility. And I promise you, if you went up to any pastor and 90% of your church is out there, how could you say that? Why do you keep saying that? Because I'm telling you, go. Go ahead. Go. Call them on the phone. Do whatever you want to do. Call. Hey, was the Old Testament saying, do they look forward to the cross? Oh, yeah, absolutely. How? How could they look forward to something that they didn't even know what it was? Because if they knew what it was, then you need to pull chapter number three of Ephesians out of the Bible. Furthermore, furthermore, how could the church have started in Acts chapter two? Who, who's the one that got the mystery revealed to them? Come on, help me. Who? Paul did. 
Where was Paul in Acts chapter 2? Let me tell you where Paul was. He was trying to kill the very ones that were preaching it. Church didn't start in Acts chapter 2. Not even close. Not even close. And when I say the church, what I'm saying is the body of Christ did not start in Acts chapter 2. It did not start until Paul revealed the mystery that was given to him that there would be a new creature. And that wouldn't have been until somewhere around 42 AD at best. We're, we're 10 years after the death of Christ on the cross. Do you think that might be vitally important information? Do you think we might want to make sure we get that? Do you think that that might lend a major, major difference to how we see Acts chapter 2? And all the speaking in tongues and need to be baptized in water to be saved and all the spiritual gifts and all that. Do you think that might be important? Well, yeah, let me tell you why it's important. Because all that was given to Israel, not us. Well, wait a minute, man, though, but they were all believers in Jesus. Were they all believers in Jesus? No. What was, it? What was Peter's message? Peter's message was not forgiveness of sin. He never said it one time. What was Peter's message? Remission of sin. And what is remission of sin? Who was that preached to? The Jew. And what is it for? Your Messiah's coming. Our Messiah's coming. What? Our Messiah? Whoa, wait, wait a minute. Who was that dude that we nailed on that cross? Yeah, who said it? Oops. Oops is right. Peter, is what you're telling us is that we nailed our Messiah on a cross? Uh, yeah, fools, that's exactly what I'm telling you. What do we do? We killed the Prince of Life. What do we do? Is that, what do I do to be saved? No, that's not the question. The question is, what did we do with the fact that we killed our Messiah? Pastor, you keep hammering this stuff. Why? I'm trying to tell you why. Start having, you will never understand the importance of all the things that I'm telling you if you're not having conversations with people. Right. You'll, just, you'll just sit back and go, I don't know why you keep harping on this stuff. Who cares? I got it. Good. Start having conversations with people and then watch what happens. Then you'll start to go, man, that crazy, stupid pastor, he's freaking guy's right. These people are whacked. You're right, they are. And all I know is Jude said what? Earnestly contend for the faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the... Why does Pastor Frank harp on this stuff so much? Because I want you to be able to earnestly contend for the faith when the time comes. I want you to know why you're saying what you're saying. I want you, right, Pam? I want you to be able to go, prove it to me. Fine. Where do you want to start? Because I'm going to tell you right now, you talk to a lot of people who say, where does it say that in the Bible? Well, you know, I don't know. I, mean, I, don't know. I want someone to say to you, well, where does it say that in the Bible? And I want you to be able to go right there. See that right there? Look, it says it right there. See that, Chris? Look, look what it says. I don't know what it says. I don't even have a clue where I pointed that. That is the heart of your pastors. That's why we harp on it as much as we do. I don't know what other churches are doing. And quite honestly and frankly, because I can be frank, I don't care. I have no jurisdiction over those churches and those people. I'm the pastor. Robert is a pastor. You. And I'm going to make sure, by the grace of God, that we are pastoring you right. We are passing you according to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. The way we're supposed to. And yes, yes, that's going to have to be. You, you want to know the problem with us, man? Listen, forget about all you folks. I'm just looking at me right now, okay? You want to know the problem with all of us is? We're hard-headed. No disrespect, but we're idiots. Our flesh is just way too strong. We want what the flesh wants. And when things don't jive the way we want it, 
We don't like it. Please, please understand. It's not about what you like. It never was. And it never will be. Well, that stinks. I don't know. Maybe it does. In the here and now. But I promise you, you get yourself right where it's not going to stink. I'd rather it stink, if, if even if that's what it does. Let's just pretend for a second, because I would argue that it, does, it isn't. But, but even if it did, I'd rather that for the next 40 years of my life than all eternity. Thank you, pumpkin. <laughs> I wasn't calling her pumpkin, my wife. She was dressed like a pumpkin. That was my point. My wife's probably sitting there going, she never calls me any names. Freaking guy. He never calls me any. He doesn't call me nothing, Claude. You know what I'm saying, man? Do you ever call your, do you ever call your wife, sweetie? Oh, see, I don't. I just, I don't ever think of it. I, you know what I mean? Like, I, I even call my daughter baby. I don't even call my wife baby. That's what I do, woman. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus never said sweetie. Jesus never said baby. Jesus said woman. I'm just following scripture, woman. Listen, Christmas tree, quiet down. Ron, am I being amusing today? <laughs> All right. What'd you say? Well, yeah, put the two of them together. That'd be good. We'll have our little Christmas tree. <laughs> and on that note, let's pray. <laughs> Ray's got to say something. You want me to pray first or you want to say it now? Pray. pray. All right. Just the leadership. So everybody else get the heck out of here when we're done. All right. Father, we come before you, Lord. We just want to thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, in all seriousness, we do humble ourselves before you. Lord, number one, we are thankful that you wrote it in a book for us to understand. You gave it to us so that we could follow after the things that do please you. And Lord, I don't know about everybody else in this room, but I want to please you. I want you to be happy and, 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 and satisfied with what I do. Lord, I know it's a struggle. I know it's difficult. But Lord, I need to make sure that I understand I don't need to please myself. That's not where, that's not what this is all about. It's about getting to the place where I please you. And so Lord, I, I pray that we'd be a church that'd be about that. Be about pleasing you as we talked about in Bible study last night, if we could only really truly understand that, when we truly find the place and we get to the place of, of, of understanding that this is about pleasing you, Lord, I, I do believe we will find what real joy is all about. Lord, so I pray that uh, we would be a church that would do that. I pray that we would be a people that would do that. I pray that we would be an individual that would do that. May we learn what you had to say in your word so that we can understand what it is, so that we can understand not only for ourselves, but we can tell others also. We are living in a day where there's many, many, many bad things going on. Not, not in our society, by itself, in our churches. Lord, we don't want to be cynical. We don't want to be... Uh, uh, mad or, 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 or whatever it is. But Lord, I do know, just as King David said on many occasions, you have called us to hate every false way. And so Lord, help us to do exactly that. Hate every false way. Hate sin. Recognize what it is. And, 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 and know that you are not okay with any of it. You never were. You never will be. And you certainly aren't now. Thank you, Lord, for this church. Thank you for giving us 
as a body the passion to love your word. But Lord, I do pray that we wouldn't just be hearers, that we would take what we're hearing and we would apply to our lives so that we would be doers. I don't know when, Lord, but the time is coming. Your return is certainly nearer today than it was yesterday. And Lord, if tomorrow be the day, if today be the day, if five weeks be the day, if five years be the day, I pray that every single person in this room, including myself, would be found faithful to you. In Jesus' name I pray. And all the church said, amen. amen.